Your relationship with food, do you love it? Is it yummy? Do you eat for pleasure? Do you eat for performance? Or do you have a guilt relationship with food where you either don't eat enough food because you're scared it's going to make you fat, or you eat food and you feel guilty, or you eat a stack of food and you've become overweight? And they're very personal questions and I'm asking for a very personal reason. I'm at my desk and today I've had two very unique and not very positive experiences with people and their relationship with food. So the first one is a business colleague of mine who uh, unfortunately in a situation where I think this is wrong in every way, where a parent has to bury their child so their child dies before they do. I think the natural process of, of life should be that we die first and then our children die. Now I have to be very careful because I don't have any children. But what happened is this little girl, uh, when I say little girl, she, was, uh, she died as an adult but her mother is my age, so we're both mature women. Uh, and this young lady died of an eating disorder. She died of star starving herself, literally. Uh, she, her, her brain and her body completely broke down. Uh, she had multiple organ failure or failures uh, because she wasn't eating enough food. And she had been doing this to her body for most of her life, from teenagehood to, to the day that she died. Uh, and I can't imagine what that would be like as a parent to watch your child starving themselves to death. Why does the human body or how does the brain get into the situation where it doesn't want to eat food? It hates food so much that it wants to be in full control of not eating food. And I think it's a really important question to ask uh, if you have children or if you are a parent, teacher, coach, leader, boss, uh, somebody who's responsible for the future of our adults. Do we ever want our children not to have a great relationship with food? Don't we want our kids to love food, uh, eat for pleasure, eat for performance, eat to be healthy, love eating food, enjoy the process of eating food and be healthy all of their lives, not die early because they stopped eating? The reverse of that uh, and I don't know whether, whether you can even compare the two, uh, but I have another situation where I have a young teenage boy who is morbidly obese. Uh, this young boy is so overweight that he can't walk anymore. He has to be in a wheelchair. He's a teenager. And uh, having been an exercise professional all of my life, I've seen this happen on a, unfortunately a too regular occurrence where parents overlove their children and overfeed them. I've seen people do it to their dogs. I obviously love and adore animals. And I've seen people who just overfeed their dog because they love their dog. And then their dog gets sick and dies early. This little man is unfortunately not a little man. He's morbidly obese and he's only a teenager. He has to be in a wheelchair because his body is incapable of walking him around anymore. Uh, and his family, who are all overweight also, uh, but the, and I ask this with such sincerity, but with please such importance, could food be killing our kids, <laughs> our relationship with food? If we're overeaters, if we 
uh, have no control over the amount of food that we eat? Is it possible that our children are watching that, think that it's normal, and they overeat too? If from childhood, from babies, our kids are given too much food, isn't it likely that at some stage uh, the human body says, I don't know what to do with all this food, I'm not active enough, or I can't move around because you're just giving me too much food? Uh, And as a parent, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with a child that can no longer walk because they're too overweight? How do you deal with a child that has starved themselves to death, literally to death? And I'm asking very, very personally because is it possible that our personal relationship with food, the things that we say about food, the way we react or respond to certain foods or all foods will have a serious impact on our kids. And if, like me, you don't have any children, but you're an exercise professional or a dietitian or a doctor or somebody who's delivering information about food, are we careful enough about the way we deliver good food, bad food, can't have, mustn't have, don't have? Why do we find that it's such a stretch that if I tell somebody, don't eat this food, it's bad for you, and then they eat that food, that they may then feel like they're a bad person. Why can't we consider that that's a possibility? If I'm a mum and I'm constantly weighing myself, measuring myself, getting my body fat percentage tested, if I'm constantly dieting, if I'm constantly talking about food, good food and bad food, don't have that, it's bad for you, isn't it possible that our kids are going to learn from that? Isn't it possible that there's, there's going to be a connection with our kids that, well, mummy says that's a bad food, I want to eat that because it's yummy, so if I eat that, I then become a bad person. Or if we're in an environment where, uh, and there are many cultures in the world where food is the culture, every time the family gets together, there's an enormous amount of food, and it just becomes a normal part of life, which is awesome. I love food too. It's a normal part of my life. But is it possible that if you don't then have the activity levels to match? Uh, there's a lot of cultures where food is the, is the culture, but activity used to be the culture. Uh, we're talking about people that used to be active and farming or warriors or, or just uh, calorie-burning machines that have become inactive people. And when you have a look at how inactive we have become as a human race, and I'll just give you another interesting example The Defence Forces of the USA are having some real challenges with uh, people coming into the Army, into the Navy, into the Air Force uh, at 17, 18 years of age. They've got advanced osteoporosis. These are teenagers where their bone mineral density is so weak that their bones look like the bones of old women, 60 and 70-year-old women, because these teenagers have been completely inactive all of their lives. They've been sitting on their backside, and as I always share, the biggest muscles in our body, our butt, our gluteus maximus medius minimus, our hamstrings, our quadriceps, the biggest muscles in our body, when we sit down, those muscles don't do anything. We're being supported by whatever our butt's sitting on, which means that big machine, because muscle is the biggest calorie-burning machine in our body, If we sit still, that big machine's not doing anything. And interestingly, the the human body is an evolving machine. If we don't use it, we will lose it. If we're constantly sitting on our backside, our body says, well, you're not using your backside, let it waste away. And of course, if your big muscles waste away, the ones that pull on big bones, 
then bones waste away and we get osteoporosis. So our kids' future, and let's look at some of those diseases, old people's diseases, type 2 diabetes, coronary heart disease, osteoporosis, obesity. They're considered, as you get old, you get fat. As you get old, you get coronary heart disease. As you get old, you get age onset diabetes is what it used to be called. But it's now called type 2 diabetes because we've got high blood sugar levels in children. High blood sugar levels simply means we're putting the stuff in, we're putting the, the, the food in, but we're not burning it up. And the big challenge, of course, with high blood sugar is glucose or any form of OS, so lactose, fructose, galactose, any of those OSs, they're big molecules. And if you don't burn them up and they're inside your bloodstream, they're banging up against your hoses, against your arteries, causing nicks and cracks and breaks and potholes in your arteries, in your hoses. And then, of course, blood fat can stick onto those breaks and now we get clogged arteries, clogged hoses, which means we get coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, uh, risk of a stroke, and then all of the, the areas of the body that need great circulation, which is, of course, everywhere. But we've got children who are getting amputated limbs. We've got children who are going blind. We've got children who have renal failure because their body's breaking down from eating too much food, too much with no activity or little activity. And then the reverse, we've got this headspace of got to have the perfect body, got to look beautiful, got to be in control of my food, can't have, mustn't have, don't have, shouldn't have. And we have the reverse where we've got teenagers and younger and particular young girls who are starving themselves or they're throwing up or they're taking laxatives or both uh, because they want to be thin. And if you, all I can share with you is I've come from a full career path of working with people that have what what is called an eating disorder. You could call it disordered eating. Uh, I just call it this, not having a nice relationship with food, which ultimately is not having a nice relationship with yourself. Because everybody that I've worked with that doesn't want to eat food or eats too much food or eats food and throws it up, they don't have a good relationship with themselves. They feel guilty about food or they feel angry about life and they use food as either a, a comfort mechanism to try and kill the pain or they use it as a I'm going to control you mechanism and I, I will just give you a very simple example of how powerful words from an adult can be and this is my personal experience I was 10 years of age my brother came home with a new girlfriend and I remember very clearly I was sitting at the kitchen bench and my father Hungarian super chef used to cook beautiful food every day and my brother's girlfriend said to me, you're fat. Now, I don't know whether she said fat or chubby or overweight or whatever she said to me. But at 10 years of age, I had an adult that very clearly and specifically told me the truth. She said to me, you're fat. Uh, please don't be offended by that. Uh, it was the truth. I was. But I started exercising the very next day. I was 10 years of age and I've been exercising every day of my life since. Now, is that disordered? I don't know. <laughs> uh, people say to me, how come you exercise every day? I always reverse the question with, do you brush your teeth every day? Do you have a shower every day? Do you wear clothes every day? Do you eat food every day? What do you do every day? One of mine is exercise. I took on board that uh, somebody had observed that my body was bigger than normal, perhaps. I don't know what normal is anymore. And I decided that I was going to do something about it. 
And has it worked for me? Yes. But it was very powerful words from an adult. So what are the words that we're using around our children that could be positive or have a positive influence on them for their future health and their future well-being versus what are we saying to our kids? Now, uh, I'm very privileged because Debbie didn't say to me, go on a diet. And she didn't say to me, you're fat and you're a terrible person. She didn't say to me, uh, I think that uh, you're a loser because you're fat. She just said to me, you're fat and you should exercise. And I did. And I started to exercise and it's become part of my life ever since. And that's a beautiful thing that I like to talk about life balance is I love food and I didn't stop loving food and I didn't stop eating my dad's yummy cooking and I didn't stop eating ice cream and cake and biscuits and lollies and all the things that add value to my life because I think they're delicious. I just got the balance right. So I figured out that if I exercise and I've got a body that becomes a fast fat burning, food burning, calorie burning, chocolate burning, everything burning machine, then I can have a great relationship with myself, with my food, with my exercise, with my life. And if I could give that to people in a pretty pink box as a gift, a great relationship with food, I would. Uh, it's been an interesting example in my life where even that when I started dating boys, uh, they would say to me, oh, you're so much fun to take out for dinner or you're so much fun to go out with because you eat food. Most girls diet all the time or they don't want to eat that because it's bad for them or they don't want to drink that because it's bad for them. Well, I've had this great relationship with food all of my life except the one time when I decided to, to do a bodybuilding competition, when I decided to put a bikini on, get on stage and have people judge my body. And I started counting calories and I started weighing myself and I started getting my body fat percentage taken and I became uh, obsessed, fanatical about calories and food and, and the way I looked. And the reason I'm sharing that with you so very personally is I often talk about the emotional eating scale. Uh, and it's just a simple thing to explain. It's zero to 10. Zero is you have a logical relationship with food and exercise. 10 is you have an emotional relationship with food and exercise. So logical is eat when you're hungry, stop eating when you're full. Uh, eat the foods that you love, don't eat the foods that you don't love. If you put on weight, you need to lose weight. A very logical experience with all of that. When you're at 10 on the emotional eating scale, the emotional exercise scale, food and exercise is controlling your life. And everything is about the emotion of I feel good or I feel bad. I eat because I'm hungry. I eat because I'm oh, sorry. I don't eat because I'm hungry now. I eat because I'm happy or sad. I eat because I'm angry. I eat because I'm, I'm stressed. I eat because I've had a great day. I eat because I've had a bad day. Emotional reasons rather than logical reasons. And what happened to me when I went into a body competition a judgment of my body competition was everything I learnt uh, about calories and food and what you have to do to lose weight and what you have to do to have a low body fat percentage and what you have to do to look great on stage to have somebody judge your body took me up the emotional eating scale to 10 and I was literally at 10 for a very when I say a long time at least a year maybe longer where food was controlling my life and exercise was controlling my life because you can't unlearn what you already know. When I was ignorant at zero, where I just ate when I was hungry, stopped eating when I was full, I exercised to lose weight. I didn't diet to lose weight because it was logical. And that's what happened to me at 10 years of age. It sounded logical. You're chubby, do some exercise, burn up the fat. 
not go on a diet because dieting is not logical. There's nothing about dieting that makes any sense. Physiologically, when you go on a diet, when you reduce your, your food intake, you reduce your metabolism, you reduce the speed at which your body burns up calories. That just makes sense, doesn't it? If your body's if you're putting less into your body, it says, Well, I don't need very much food, so I'm gonna slow down. If you're exercising, your body says, I'm I need more food because you're you're speeding me up. And the beautiful thing about that process is not just you have an increase in your base metabolic rate, the calories you burn at rest, you burn calories faster when you exercise, your metabolic rate, but your respiratory quotient changes, which is what your body prefers to burn when you're resting. So when you're really fit and when you're really strong, your body prefers to burn fat when you're resting because it's got to save the carbohydrate that you've, that you've eaten. We've only got half a kilo of storage space because when you sprint, when you lift heavy or a combination of both, your body needs that half a kilo for energy. So your body adapts. That's how quickly your body adapts. And if you want to change your respiratory quotient, it's never about dieting. Dieting turns your body into a slow fat-burning machine. Exercise turns your body into a fast fat-burning machine. That's called common sense and logic. That's called anatomy and physiology. That's called zero on the emotional and eating and exercise scale. When you get up up to 10, and this is where it becomes very dangerous and very scary and why I'm chatting with such... I'm begging you, really... Please look after our kids because if you're at 10 on the emotional eating scale where food is controlling your life, everything that, that's happening in your life is controlled by can I eat this, is it good or bad food, how many calories, how many fat grams, how many carbohydrate grams, uh, should I be eating this, how will I feel if I eat it, how much exercise do I need to do to burn it off, I shouldn't be eating this, it's bad for me but I really want to eat it and you're having a war inside your head, when food's controlling your life, three things will happen. Number one, you could become anorexic, which means you you become in full control of your food. Food's controlling your life, but you want to control your food. So you just say, okay, I'm going to stop eating, which of course is not logical because you're not at the logical end of the scale, you're at the emotional end of the scale. So you take full control of your food and you just stop eating or you aim to stop eating. And that's the goal of anorexics. That's a horrible headspace starving yourself to death and you will die i dealt with that today bulimic is where food is controlling your life but when you sit down and have that fight with the food anorexic you win bulimic the food wins but then you want to get rid of it so you eat everything but then you want to throw it up or poo it out or exercise it off or all three so you become a food bulimic or a vomiting sorry a vomiting bulimic a laxative bulimic an exercise bulimic or a combination of all three can you imagine how damaging it is to your body to be vomiting or to be pooing or to be excessively exercising to get rid of your food i'm sharing this with you so uh, i know it's not a nice topic it's horrible but do you know how many people in the world are bulimic how many people eat food and then want to throw it up and there are some people who try to throw up and they can't and they get angry because they can't throw up their food and they take laxatives and they do terrible things to try and get rid of the food that they've eaten this is not logical this is totally emotional and it's horrible the third thing that happens is when you sit down and have an argument with your food the food wins and you just eat everything and that's where and there's this argument about this but if you are morbidly obese, it's usually not because you're hungry. <laughs> Something has changed chemically inside your body. 
if your brain is so obsessed with food that you just eat and eat and eat and eat and then you get coronary heart disease and type 2 diabetes and renal failure and limb amputations and all of the things that come with being morbidly obese and having type 2 diabetes, uh, there's nothing about that that's nice. It doesn't matter how much you love food and how much you want to feed your family yummy food and how beautiful the the social occasion is where people get together and eat food. There's nothing about overeating that's lovely. Uh, and if food is controlling your life and you eat too much food, because it's this, the argument here is that you can't be hungry enough to eat enough food to become morbidly obese. There's argument about genetic changes and there's, you know, there's, it's uh, morbid obesity is, is a disease that we can't control. But is it possible that when you eat too much and you become obese that your body breaks down versus your body breaks down and then you become morbidly obese? And from my personal perspective, that's why I'm begging because all of those things happen at the emotional end of the eating scale. There's nothing logical about being morbidly obese because you you eat when you're hungry, you stop eating when you're full, and you don't want to be overweight. You want to be a healthy, it's logical to be a healthy human being. You're an adult and you can do whatever you want. The challenge is if you're a parent or you're a coach or you're a teacher or, you're, or like me, you're an exercise professional and people are watching you, listening to you, taking your advice. I don't ever want to be responsible and I refuse to be responsible for pushing people up the emotional eating scale. It happened to me because I did a bodybuilding competition. It's one of the reasons I'm really challenged by that whole process. When you become so obsessed with calories and fat grams and how many times you should exercise and what you should be putting into your body and life becomes no longer a fun, beautiful experience to do with food and exercise, becomes a horrible experience, how can we want that for our children? So whatever you decide as an adult, you can eat what you want, of course, you can drink what you want, of course, you can starve yourself if you want to, you can be obsessive and fanatical if you want to. I don't wish that for anybody because what a horrible way to live. But we can, we can all as adults live however we want to. But if we, are, if we are surrounded by children or we have children in our life and we're talking about dieting and body fat percentages and calories and, and got to look a certain way, and we become obsessed with it, is it possible that our children will too? If we're forcing food onto our kids because it's part of the culture of our, our world or you know you have to eat your dinner because grandma's here or any of those things about well you have to eat food, what does that do to our, our children's minds? I'll give you another really interesting example. I've had both, both sides of this where men have wanted their partner, their female partner to be overweight because they don't want their partner to have to be appreciated by the opposite sex. So they overfeed their partner and they, look, eat that, drink that, overeat, it doesn't matter. I don't care if you're chubby, I don't care if you're fat, I love you the way you are. And I've had people come to me to say, my husband is forcing me to eat. It's He wants me to be fat. The reverse of that, I've had wives who've, who've overfed their husbands because they don't want their husbands to be attractive to other women. I'm just giving you personal examples of as an exercise professional, when those when those situations come into your life, do you want to push those people closer or further up the emotional eating scale? I don't think you can ever go back to zero. I certainly haven't because I can't unlearn what I already know. 
but I really am very conscious of. I want to love my food. I want to love my exercise. I want to have a logical relationship with both food and exercise, not emotional. And I certainly don't want to push any form of emotion to do with food onto anybody else. So when people ask me, is there a good food or a bad food? No. Can't have, mustn't have, don't have, shouldn't have. No. What do you love to eat? Let's always include it. What don't you like to eat? Let's never include it. Let's love your food and when do you like to eat? Where do you like to eat? What's your favorite eating experiences? Let's include all of those. And if we really have to make some changes because somebody wants to lose weight or they want to look different or they want to have more energy, is it possible that if we get people really fit and really strong that their brain chemistry will change? And I ask that very, very importantly because when I get puffed and when I lift heavy or a combination of both, my brain chemistry changes. I produce epinephrine, adrenaline, cortisol so that I can go. They're the, uh, the movement drugs, the movement neurotransmitters, so my body's capable of moving. Endorphins are the really cool ones because they're a painkiller and a happy drug. We've got brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is the powerful fertilizer for your brain, which helps with neuroplasticity so you can think differently. And then neurogenesis, so you can grow new brain cells. So you can actually drop off those horrible thoughts from the past and create new thought patterns and new ways of thinking and new relationships with food, with exercise. And those responses come from high intense activity. So when I get puffed, when I lift heavy, I produce epinephrine, adrenaline, cortisol. Then I produce serotonin satisfaction drug, dopamine reward drug, brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is fertilizer for my brain. If I can get people fit and strong, is it possible that those horrible relationships that they've got with food, those illogical, emotional, powerful drivers of I don't want to eat food or I'm going to eat too much food or I'm going to eat food and throw it up, could they make, could being fit and strong make changes to those? And I can only share with you after 40 plus years as an exercise professional and when I was personally training people as a personal exercise coach, most of my clients were people with very, very complicated relationships with food. I had a contract at one stage with an eating disorder clinic where I was working with just teenage girls who just didn't want to eat food. And luckily for them, and I say luckily because it's not normal, this is not normal patterns for an eating disorder clinic, but the reason I was going there was because the people that ran the clinic wanted somebody to come, an exercise professional, to come and exercise with the girls because they understood that if we could change their brain chemistry, we had a chance of changing their relationship with food. How about we don't put, ever put people into that position? I, I don't want our kids to know what an eating disorder is. I want our kids to grow up in a world where they love their food, they love their exercise. They, they are never anywhere near one on the emotional eating scale. They're all at zero. This is my goal. Eat when you're hungry. Stop eating when you're full. Eat all the foods that you love. Don't eat the foods that you don't love. And be a healthy, fit, strong human being for the rest of your life. If you look after your body, is it possible that your body will look after you? And as an exercise professional and as a, as a coach, a parent, a teacher, should we be teaching our kids to look after their body so their body will look after them? And may our relationship with food, whatever we choose to do with our food, please don't put our horrible relationship with food onto our kids. I don't think our kids deserve that. May our kids grow up in a world where being healthy, being fit, being strong and loving food is normal.
place.